Have you ever felt that your lack of education was a hindrance to your service to God? In Exodus 3, despite being learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, Moses needed 40 years in the school of God before he could accomplish his calling. For the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend As you read the opening 12 verses, keep in mind that 40 years have passed. And we're told that Moses is keeping the flocks belonging to his father-in-law. Now, this may be a subtle indication that Moses had not lost hope of delivering the Hebrews. I mean, if he had, the likelihood is that he would have had his own ambition to build up his own flocks and have his own business. We're told in this chapter that he is at Horeb, sometimes referred to as Sinai. It is here that the God who met with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob meets with Moses. A pre-incarnate revelation of the Son of God appears unto Moses, quote, in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. This angel of the Lord is referred to as Jehovah and God in verse 4. Now, initially, Moses looks out of curiosity, and it is then that God calls to him and tells him to keep his distance and remove his shoes. God then reveals himself as the covenant-keeping God of Moses' fathers, and he declares his awareness of the suffering of the Hebrews and indicates that it is time to fulfill his word and bring the people into Canaan. Now, the relevance of this to Moses is in verse 10, quote, I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, taking in the entire record, it appears Moses has been greatly humbled by 40 years of isolation and obscurity, and so he questions this call. In verses 13 through 15, as Moses contemplates this call, he questions God for the second time. How can he give clear indication that the God who has sent him is the same God of the Hebrew fathers? In a day of rife polytheism, can Moses explain the nature of this God? The response from God is, I am, revealing himself as self-existent, eternal, and that he not only is what he is at present, but what he always has been and shall be. Rather than try to convince every Hebrew on his own, Moses then is directed to speak with the elders specifically. If he can convince them, he will get the ear of the people. In verses 16 through 22, we learn how God further reassured Moses by telling him what to expect. He does not deny the difficulty, stating, quote, And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. End quote. Now we're going to see in the coming chapters the difficulty that Moses faced. I mean, nearly all who leave with Moses will die in the wilderness due to unbelief, and even Moses himself will not make it into the promised land, so there's a tough road ahead. But there's no room for failure in what God says to Moses. Their persecutors are going to be devastated and plundered as if conquered in warfare. This is signified in the closing verses by the fact that they will leave with Egyptian loot, even though they will not lift so much as a sword against them. And so we come to application. 1. Christ is the eternal God. As the mediator, every visible representation of God in the Old Testament is a revelation of the Son of God. Remember, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are one true eternal God, the same in substance, 
equal in power and glory. The larger catechism teaches, quote, The scriptures manifest that the Son and the Holy Ghost are God equal with the Father, ascribing unto them such names, attributes, works, and worship as are proper to God only, end quote. Now, what does all this mean? Well, boys and girls, when we come to our New Testament and we read Jesus state, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, I am the door, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the true vine. In these statements, he is identifying himself as the divine and eternal I am. He is the one who is the same yesterday and today and forever. And this is why we worship Jesus Christ as God and submit to him as Lord of our lives. We also learn from the lips of the Lord Jesus in the New Testament that this, this chapter, Exodus 3, and what is taught here implies the reality of resurrection because it is not that God was the God of Abraham, but he is. And so Abraham awaits the resurrection. I don't know about you boys and girls, but I can't wait to meet Abraham and many of the others who live for God. Two, a holy God can meet with unholy men in their common employments. Moses is instructed to remove his shoes as a cultural sign that he was in the presence of a powerful sovereign. That would have been understood by him. But because of his faith in the coming Christ, Moses is not burned up in the presence of this infinitely holy God. God condescends to commune with him. And just as the shepherds were keeping their flocks when the angel announced the Savior's birth, so God met with Moses in the midst of his daily employment. Now, I find this encouraging because time alone with God is necessary, but a monastic view of life which keeps men from productive employment fails to take account of Adam's high calling to tend and keep the Garden of Eden. The fact that we need to get alone with God is true, but we also can have the presence of mind to look for God as we do our work. God will meet with working men who live if we can use the term mindfully, in fellowship with him through the day. So don't be discouraged by the distraction of your employment. Three, maturity makes men think more soberly about their abilities. When Moses was 40, after the best education in the world available to him, he thought he was ready. And now that he's 80, he is unsure. Evidently, it wasn't so much to do with his physical abilities but it was a keener sense of the difficulties found within himself and in the task. At 40, in the flesh, he thought he could do it. At 80, in the spirit, <laughs> he was more moderate, let's just put it that way. I think it's good for us to remember that it takes approximately 20 years of good example to lay a foundation in a person that enables them to become a parent. So we shouldn't be hasty in taking on responsibilities, at the same time not being reluctant when God says go. If God has called you to some particular service and you feel a deficiency within yourself, take his promise to heart. Quote, certainly I will be with thee. That's a good word for us when God calls us to do something. Four, Christ identifies with his suffering church. For years, the Jews and then later Scottish Presbyterians have viewed the burning bush as a symbol of the people of God flourishing despite the fires of persecution. Now, verse 7 speaks of God seeing, hearing, and knowing all that his people were experiencing. In Isaiah 63, 9, we read, In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. End quote. 
This leads to verse 8, which typifies and encapsulates the essence of the incarnation. Look at it. God comes down to deliver his people and provide them with the blessings of a heavenly Canaan. 5. Redemption requires that Christ be made a curse for his people. As mentioned, the burning bush is a revelation of the Son of God. So, if you see the fire signifying God and his divine judgment, and then consider the word bush. In the Hebrew, it signifies a bramble or thorn bush, and it typifies Christ and his humanity being made a curse. And so this makes the, the burning bush a foreshadowing of the cross, because it's on the cross where Christ is made a curse for us, bearing the fiery judgment of God. Now Moses stood there before this bush and it's not consumed. And it indicates to us how only in the God-man can there be one that will not be consumed by the fiery judgment of God altogether. And so all the promised mercy that is revealed to Moses in this chapter is as a result of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's only because of Christ's finished work. And so it is not just for the believing Israel, but for all the people of God to this day. And so children, if you want God's blessing, where do you go? You go to the cross and you go there every day because it's only there where God deals with our sin and allows us to go free and know pardon and his blessing. And finally, the purpose of redemption is to serve and worship God. God's deliverance of sinners is, is not merely to grant a ticket to heaven, but it is a high calling, a calling upon his rational creatures to serve and worship the living God with all of their hearts. See verse 12 and 18. Now perhaps today God is calling you to more consecrated service. So I want to encourage you that by God's grace, disconnect from the pharaohs in your life, the relationships, the pastimes, and the other distractions which in a real sense exercise tyranny over your life, preventing you from being at your best for God and serving him as you should. Today, bid adio to every compromise and dedicate your life to serve God. You will never regret it.